Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a Tuesday night edition of the Dunkdown Basketball Podcast. Probably our third classic game of these playoffs, going back to Boston-Washington Game 2 and Memphis-San Antonio Game 4. This Game 5 between San Antonio and Houston, an absolute stunner in overtime with Kawhi Leonard on the bench. San Antonio takes it. We're going to give you the audio from our Twitter NBA post-game show to talk about that. Then we got to get into off-season previews for the Atlanta Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets. A reminder that we are sponsored today by Texture. Texture.com slash Capspace gives you 14 days to try them for free. And ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash Capspace allows my listeners to post jobs for free. I also want to remind you guys, check out the new Dunked On video. First one just posted on my YouTube account. I've been tweeting it out. It's a fun syncing of our Twitter NBA show audio with the key moments of the game. We did that great San Antonio and Houston game as our first one. So check that out. Uh, people have been giving it some good reviews already on twitter i hope you can uh, give that a look and it's also a nice advertisement for what it's like to follow along with the twitter nba show live version but here first is our audio from the twitter nba show post game welcome on to the twitter nba show post game edition after a classic game five between houston and san antonio a valiant san antonio win without Kawhi leonard in the lineup down the stretch if this is your first time watching what we're about here as an alternative to the normal kind of fluffy post game shows where we're going to get deep into advanced analytics advanced play breakdowns uh, give us the same sort of analysis that you come to expect on the twitter nba show and also take your questions questions as well if you have them hashtag twitter nba show is a great way to lead those or we'll interact with people live on periscope as well so danny your takeaways from uh this win without Kawhi leonard that seemed like the big key to me that they won without him it is and so Kawhi leonard was dealing with a knee issue earlier in the game with his right knee and then he returned to the game he looked okay from that 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 wasn't really there and then he sprained his left ankle landed on or was kind of trying to pivot on and landed on james harden's foot and he he tried to play on it, but then he couldn't continue at the end of the game, and the Spurs were able to rebound. They lost the lead a couple of times. They didn't score in, I think it was the first three minutes of overtime, but they were still able to win the game and take in, well control to inform of the series 110-107. Yeah, they desperately had to have this game, especially with the Kawhi health situation, right? I mean, you have to imagine if he couldn't go at the end of this game with only one day off in between the game six on Thursday, they would have been facing a closeout game with him at the very least highly limited. Now, I mean, if it were me, he's not even seeing the floor in game six. I'm just going to let him get healthy, come back for game seven and see if you can win that on your home floor because I just like, I don't see any way that he's going to be 100% by Thursday. Maybe he can get to 100% with four straight days off. 
I think that's a very good point. And your, your goal is to win the series. Your goal is not necessarily to win game six now that those are not one and the same. They would have been otherwise. But another place that I think we have to go early on in this is Houston's offense late in this game. They, despite doing a wonderful job, particularly in the first half of attacking early in possessions, of course, it also helped like David Lee and Kyle Anderson were on the floor early in the game. They did not play yeah. late. But they, Houston was waiting too long, whether that was Harden's fault, his teammates' faults, the coaches' fault. We don't exactly know. They were getting started too late, and that allowed the Spurs to crash in because it's a lot easier to figure out what a team's going to do with five seconds left than with 15. Houston's late-game offense has been a perpetual problem in the Harden era, and while their offense is outstanding for the first 43 minutes of the game, late, it's just Harden holding and holding and dribbling, and maybe he gets a switch, but then he's still going to hold it a little bit longer, and then he's going to dribble a little bit longer, and even when he has the switch, he doesn't go early enough because you've got to go early, attack, get in the lane, and then if you're going to drive and kick, you got time to actually do that with the defense at a disadvantage once you force up. It's far too often, you end up with James Harden just holding it down to the end, and then it's so late in the clock that once he finally does decide to go, he's just got to take a tough step-back three-pointer, and while he started four out of ten, he missed his last five three-point attempts of the game. Really, none of them were good looks and it was so frustrating because you know on the Twitter NBA show we're saying over and over again they got to go earlier they got to go earlier what are they doing why are they waiting and then the two times that they actually did attack early in the possession with high screens very high up in the floor to get Harden going downhill with some kind of alacrity they actually did get really good shots yeah they got a corner three from Patrick Beverly which was the first basket made in overtime and then I can't remember exactly what the other one was but I remember Anderson it was the- Anderson corner that's right three, yeah. Anderson corner three and those even- those were their only six points in all and they also didn't even go quickly when they had a two for one opportunity at the end of overtime yeah they were that's just right. they were sitting there they had i think it was like 34 seconds on the shot clock and so you're going okay you know you get it early san antonio if you if san antonio is going to do what they're going to do instead they burned it until like 20 something seconds and it, it was infuriating in that way some some stats from that and from the last five minutes of the regular of regulation to overtime houston shot four of 11 from the field only one of those shots was a two the it was three of ten from three and they turned the ball over six times they had more turnovers than made shots yeah and it was, a lot of that was hardened going one-on-one but also got to give some credit to the spurs defense especially even without Kawhi leonard was outstanding jonathan simmons in particular he had two just pokeaways of james harden he just was fighting over screens getting on his back getting back around him when he did get screened and it really was an outstanding effort from him a coming out party of sorts we've seen the flashes from him at times and what he was able to do defensively not fouling Harden as well Harden only took eight free throws in this one uh and they had good help as well Harden would say he was fouled on a couple of those plays Simmons drew the offensive foul late in regulation on him uh Monty Ginobili had a key block Danny Green had some big plays at the rim switching out Mills had some really nice defensive possessions throughout the fourth quarter and overtime we got asked in the middle of the game you know oh how's how's Patty Mills the defender I feel better about him after this game than I did before yeah he had the key steal late as they were going for a three they actually had someone else besides Harden attack on that play it was Gordon and Mills cut him off forced a turnover and then uh was able to draw a jump ball that wasted a bunch of their time and then they couldn't really get into anything after that either so it was really just a fantastic defensive performance late from the Spurs and 
it was such a struggle a defensive struggle in the fourth quarter in overtime you forget that this game like these teams couldn't stop each other in the beginning but once Kawhi went out it really that was the last chance for San Antonio they just had to devolve into LaMarcus Aldridge posting up every time and he had a massive struggle he was 7 of 21 from the field also 4 of 7 from the foul and he missed two key free throws late but he was incredible on the offensive glass to the tune of nine offensive rebounds and some of those were really key they were extremely important and I believe the Spurs had five offensive rebounds in the last five minutes in overtime but amazingly only had two second chance points but when you think about where this game went that's still important with the way that it turned out and they had more second chance points overall but my issue with some of the LaMarcus possessions and a lot of this did come when Kawhi was more limited but still playing was that the process was flawed like they were just kind of feeding him the ball higher deeper out than you would really expect further out not deeper and he was sometimes settling for shots he did have some really nice moves he had that that step through that on Clint Capella who I thought did a wonderful job defensively for the most part in this game and it's hard to figure out where the Spurs are going to go if Kawhi sits because you think about it on the defensive end because in the defensive end you know he's defensive player of the year candidate a big part of their success but offensively especially without Tony Parker he creates so much of what they do yeah I think they actually have the horses with Green and Simmons to guard Harden okay although Harden is actually like really hard to stop when he doesn't just hold the ball forever and ever for eternity forever uh some of the big key plays in this one Manu Ginobili uh tied the game uh to send in overtime with 34 seconds left in or the uh in regulation a tough drive past Clint Capella on a switch after they did a good job reversing the ball to him then they got a switch over there he was able to go left against Capella Clint Capella probably doesn't know the Manu Ginobili scouting report the way everyone used to that you got to make him go left but uh I thought as I said on the Twitter broadcast I was like oh this isn't going to end well like Capella's got the advantage on him and Manu just such a cheeky finish with the left hand speed layup never put the right hand on the ball snaked it around him it was a beautiful play to tie it and then both teams just had horrendous end uh possessions houston as you mentioned could have gotten the two for one they didn't harden just held the ball they never even got him in the middle of the floor they never even tried to get him switched against a big and then he just drove right into simmons who cut him off and and drew what i thought was a justifiable offensive foul and then the last uh possession of regulation wasn't any good either Dave, with mills having to take an impossible shot that he didn't even get off and pop was yelling at Pau Gasol who might have messed up the play it looked like he might have supposed to screen for LaMarcus Aldridge so you had that circumstance and then Mills didn't have much of an advantage but he kind of double pumped it and he shot late and it actually happened in both regulation and in overtime that a shot went in after the buzzer because Mills shot went in but it was too late clearly too late and then I think it was Eric Gordon or Patrick Beverly just chucked one up after Ginobili blocked Harden on the last play of the game and it went in too just the way this game went then at the end of OT as well I mean, and we'll do later on on dunked on a, a full breakdown of all these plays but uh Houston Danny Green with a really tough three off of I think it was an offensive rebound uh, by Aldridge uh that was no it wasn't an offensive rebound. I think they just swung it from the right wing actually and it was an incredibly tough shot because he was just backing up and he had to take it three feet behind the line like getting the your legs into it while you were backing up right before the shot is really difficult so he switched that then he had that incredible and one drive uh after Ryan Anderson and hit a corner three to put Houston up you thought that might do it finally for this gallant Spurs team uh and then Manu Ginobili with the huge play blocking James Harden's tying three uh, at the very end after Mills had stripped Gordon it was really just great clutch play by some Spurs players who 
may have been a little bit more out of the limelight now with Aldridge and uh, Kawhi really taking on more of the scoring responsibility. But Aldridge, you know, he just, they were let, forcing him to his right shoulder. He just couldn't make a right shoulder turnaround to save his life the entire game. And it was really just those guys stepping up and making it a, a rock fight uh, was important. Something else big picture that I thought was significant is that we saw this actually in the first half and then it continued throughout the game. San Antonio was getting into the restricted area a lot. Some of that was through their offensive rebounds. They were getting putbacks and some of those were going in and some of them weren't they were 27 sorry 23 of 40 in the restricted area houston for comparison's sake was 18 of 27 so that's a pretty significant difference yeah the spurs also really won the turnover battle and harden was brilliant early had 30 23 points in the first half finished with 33 missed a ton of shots late and had nine turnovers a lot of those were really bad and then the spurs despite the fact that you know some of their best guys weren't really playing well or available only had seven turnovers for the game and so houston really you know they got the shots that they wanted to get mostly you know they took very very few shots uh they took only eight shots from floater range and three for mid-range 11 uh long twos the whole game and yet they still weren't able to be that effective and another problem was just houston stopped hitting their three-pointers the the first quarter the teams were six out of 12 and four out of eight on threes respectively and then nobody could hit a three until danny green hit the one late uh but houston 16 out of 48 on three-pointers for the game something else that ended up being significant later on was both teams didn't foul that much during regulation. I think it was something like 15 to 15 earlier on. But then the the Spurs fouls were all decentralized. Nobody had more than two going into overtime, whereas the Rockets were only on a few guys, and that ended up Im- impacting the game because Ryan Anderson picked up a fifth foul and then nearly picked up a sixth foul, and I thought that kind of got him off balance a little bit defensively. And also, Harden had four and Capella had four. They both could have gone in different directions too. What do you think of Pop's decision to start Patty Mills, who finished with 20 20 points on 7 to 16 from the field uh four assists he's the reason well, a big part of the reason their offense was so good early because they they couldn't hide anybody you know Dejounte murray did pretty well attacking when they weren't paying attention to him early in game four but patty mills converts that into buckets and converts that into threes and Kawhi wasn't scoring much early but part of that was because of the attention that he was generating was going to guys like mills yeah and mills was very aggressive with his shot to the point he was taking some bad ones at times but considering some of the other struggles that they had I think him being aggressive really worked out well I thought fatigue was a factor for Houston with Harden he played 43 minutes which is not a ton for an overtime game uh but I thought he definitely was out of gas late that's probably I mean I think half the reason he holds the ball so long is that he's just tired I mean and you know the guy does run a pick and roll on every single Houston possession basically when he's in the game so that's understandable but he also runs less in terms of like miles per hour than any perimeter player in the league in general and that's a, I think has continued during these playoffs but both uh fatigue and foul trouble too I mean Houston played seven guys with Nene unavailable and Anderson he was great 19 points 7 of 11 but uh Eric Gordon was four out of 13 although he, he definitely had some moments but I, I think once Harden couldn't create open three-pointers for all of them as he did in the first half uh it really 
they don't have much it's just because if you can stop Harden one-on-one or two-on-two then those guys can't get open and that turns into a game that the Spurs are much more comfortable with as crazy as it sounds considering how much their personnel has changed over since last year the basic concept of how to defend the Rockets isn't that different you know you want to defend the pick and roll two-on-two make sure and if the other guys beat you one-on-one with a contest so be it the players that they have supporting are more capable of doing that and they have more guys that if they get a blatant mismatch like Lou Williams and Eric Gordon can attack it but when it especially with the way they're running their late game offense it's not that different no I I don't think so and you know from the Kevin McHale era to the J.B. Bickerstaff era to the D'Antoni era you think that maybe the common denominator there is Harden Uh, Megs 34 asks why not play Harden off the ball some he's not good at it because if you're going to play off the ball you got to run and every once in a while I think one of their first plays of the game was trying to run him off off a screen and get him on the move and I think that could be useful but D'Antoni doesn't really do that much off the ball stuff just in general uh he's much more just high pick and roll every time and then Harden just you know that level of running is just not something that he does Harden is also much better with the ball in his hands than without the ball in his hands and he's not good when he's being denied so if you open up that opportunity especially if Kawhi or Danny Green is on him and they can execute the scheme like remember that play with Eric Gordon I don't even know if there had been a pathway for him to get that ball back I mean, he would have gotten maybe deep in like kind of towards half court, but they they can do a good job executing that. Yeah, let's uh, let's see if we got some questions here using the hashtag Twitter NBA show. How important was Ryan Anderson's foul trouble? That seemed to limit the Rockets going small. Anderson did play 36 minutes, so not that much. I mean, I think more important than his foul trouble, he did, he ended with five fouls, so I think he got his fifth in overtime or or very late in regulation. Uh, the bigger problem is just that he didn't start each half, and so you can only play so many minutes if you don't start the half. And that certainly can lead to fatigue in a different way because even though his total minutes aren't there, if you're not getting the rest, it, it can be a real challenge. And I think that was a limitation for them. Also, if you're not moving the ball, if you're not generating those opportunities, he is not providing nearly as much offensive value even though he did make one of their two shots in overtime. Yeah, I mean, he obviously is is spacing the floor and he shot incredibly well. Just, you know, they weren't able to get him quite enough attempts. Should also mention the game that Patrick Beverly had 20.6 of 10 from the field five of seven on three so he was outstanding uh played some pretty good defense as well despite getting what looked like a foot contusion as well i mean but this game i think by the end it basically and we'll give greg popovich credit even with Kawhi leonard out he still went small he just acknowledged that every moment that they had ryan anderson at center they just couldn't go big and the spurs started to learn how to play that way a little bit more they switched more they were able to get more penetration off the dribble than we'd seen before taking advantage of Houston's lacking help defense especially when Anderson was in the game at center I thought when Capella was in at center they did much better Capella had some really nice intimidations and shot blocks at the rim he was a big reason why they shot so poorly at the rim uh, but good job by Pop going to that and not saying oh well Kawhi's out we got to go big again you know that never would have worked and also the other adjustment I liked was Kyle Anderson and David Lee both got smoked in the first half and so he just pretty much excised those guys from the rotation in the second half I thought that was a key to their victory as well it's also important to note that if they had excised them entirely from the rotation as much as they were flawed in their minutes maybe their guys would have been almost as gassed as the Rockets guys were I mean you you did need someone maybe it could have been Bertans or Deontay Murray DeJounte Murray or somebody like that but they need somebody to to fill that role and playing seven guys is just probably not enough especially when you consider the high intensity other than the last few minutes of the game when they dragged of a lot of this time I mean there was a stretch at the beginning of this game I think it was the first like 
like five and a half minutes. There was the only stoppage was one pretty quick foul that was not a shooting foul. Uh, all right, let's see what else we have. Given the Spurs' lack of athleticism inside, should Harold be a part of Houston's rotation? I've said why I don't think that, but do you agree with me? I do. He's not providing enough surplus value, and if he was a little bit better of a screener, maybe you do it that way. But they don't even. I don't think. Well, but he's imminently switchable. Is the right. problem too? Right. He here's the problem with Harold. He gives you all of the disadvantages of a big guy and none of the advantages of, of a small guy because they don't really need him to be like a switch guy at center uh he does get on the offensive glass a little bit uh, but the spurs are a great defensive rebounding team i don't think they're gonna have a huge advantage there and then he, he, the big problem is he can't guard anyone in the post he's too small to guard gasol not to mention aldridge and so if you're gonna have a pure center out there you better not be able to get posted up and then he also is a poor defensive rebounder as well which is another problem against the spurs team that really has been effective on the offensive glass and you'll note that in the three spurs wins over 40 percent offensive rebounds game two over 40 percent offensive rebounds game three and 32 percent uh in this game after they only had two in the first quarter they continued to dominate and we mentioned what aldridge was able to do and good on him too for you know even though he shot seven out of 21 finding a way to make himself useful and he must have been exhausted too having to guard and pick and roll all day and then also you know going into the post all the time and, and bodying around there to still be able to get those nine offensive rebounds. Really impressive from LaMarcus. Uh, let's see what else we got here in terms of questions. We got asked if the Spurs should run, especially if Kawhi's out more LaMarcus pick and roll because they got better looks on that. And I think they did because there were times when Houston switched it. And that was when LaMarcus could really press the advantage, especially because Houston, when they go small, other than Eric Gordon, who's strong, a lot of their small guys are really small. Yeah, Beverly, Ariza is a little skinny yeah I thought I mean I think they haven't run nearly enough LaMarcus pick and roll or pick and pop in this series and and especially once Kawhi is out of the game I mean what else have you got really <laughs> as far as that and now by the way I mean we mentioned that we didn't think the Parker injury was that big uh now it's big because they if Kawhi is going to miss time they really are going to need someone else who can do something off the dribble I mean Manu played 32 minutes John Simmons like those guys were having to attack off the dribble you know I don't know if they can repeat their performances in the next game so it'll be interesting to see what the the reports are so on Kawhi there yeah. actually is something uh, Michael Wright has said apparently that Kawhi said he's playing in game six though I'm always a little bit dubious of those at this point because you have to see how the swelling goes and everything else and there there are elements of this that we don't know yet it's possible and you can listen to that it's a piece of the equation but it's not the whole thing yet and I believe Kyle Lowry was optimistic about that and then he missed games three and four you know I haven't seen anywhere on Twitter yet whether Pop just decided to take Kawhi out or Kawhi felt like he couldn't go I think it was the latter to be honest and what a uh, or I'm sorry, I think it was the former that Pop did just take him out. I mean, Kawhi looked very anguished on the bench. I mean, more angry than like sad, I thought. And hey, you know, I mean, it worked. It wouldn't have been my choice. I would at least have had him out there for the last possessions where, you know, you're not going to ever leave Kawhi Leonard. Um, And so Kawhi says he's playing game six. I would be very wary of doing that if I were the Spurs. And if anybody can be counted on to take the long view, even in a series like this, it would be San Antonio. I mean, the thing is, is just even if he's healthy, they're underdogs in game six so why compromise your chances in game seven when he's probably not going to be close to 100 and maybe you know he'll try and warm up or whatever and, and give it a go but if he doesn't look absolutely perfect out there which i think would be a surprise given that he couldn't finish this game I mean, usually you're probably better off on these ankle injuries finishing that game than you are a couple days later uh with markeith morris the notable exception um see if we got any any other questions here worth hitting um 
I think that's probably about oh yeah so is Lamarcus at all capable of additional scoring if Kawhi's ankle is worse than expected asked Spencer Gilmore I don't think he I mean maybe some more of his post-ups will go in but as a pick and roll player certainly he can take advantage advantages and mismatches and I think do it that way but I don't think you want to just feed him I mean that's what they did in that fourth quarter and I mean he's got to shoot better on right shoulder turnarounds than he has so far he's shooting like 10 percent on those but i mean that's the scouting report obviously to make him go to his right shoulder instead of his left and you know i think he does have to get deeper position uh and but it's tough to ask you to do that if you're taking 25 shots out of the post every time but it does at least slow the pace down i mean they, they do have that to say hey you know when he takes a fadeaway jumper they're probably not getting a fast break out of it uh and i think that was important there are only 20 possessions in the fourth quarter uh neither team scored very well and you say especially if Kawhi is going to miss time turning it into more of a defensive slowdown struggle would be the way to go for San Antonio even if they're going with a lineup that's mostly small guys around Aldridge all right, let's take two more here and then we'll uh, we'll call it quits for, uh, who is the best option for Houston to at least get to an eight-man rotation for me it's Sam Decker yeah I think so I you know maybe his hand is still bothering him and just you know if you watch him shoot in warm-ups he just can't make a shot or something like that but I mean I think he at least should get some modicum of time to see whether he can be another option to kind of spell everyone i guess another thing houston might consider is do they want to just start anderson and capella together just to get like three or four minutes there and then you take one of those guys out and and alternate them throughout the rest of the game just so you have anderson able to get a few more minutes i mean he only played really 31 minutes in regulation essentially all right one more here and then we'll we'll call it quits uh, what's Simmons' potential? Well, it's limited by the fact that he's 27. If he were 23, I'd be like really high on him. But, uh, you know, I think he could be a, a very solid rotation player. Maybe not a good enough shooter to be a starting two guard. But in, especially as an option who can go small, finish around the rim, the harassing defense that he played on James Harden was outstanding today. Plus the dearth of wings around the league. I mean, just need a rotation caliber wing is incredibly useful. And we should note that he is arenas limited, which means that because of his, he's only only been in the league for two years which means that teams cannot make an offer for more than the non-taxpayer mid-level exception to start with they to would start be limited with. to that for the first two years and then you could go up as high as the max the next two years uh so i doubt that he would get close to the max that he could get which would still be something crazy it's like, gonna be yeah. sad if he gets less than boban but it's probably gonna happen <laughs> he, he could get a big offer i mean i'd rather spend my money on him than a lot of guys we'll put it that way okay before we move on to brooklyn I want to tell you about our friends at Texture. I used to love magazines, but then I became a bit more ecologically conscious, and I started reading them every once in a while online. But you don't really get the same feel as you do the normal magazine. You don't get the layout. If it's on a tablet, it's not really the same thing. There's no table of contents. It's not in order. But now with Texture, not only do you not have to subscribe to the paper version, but you can get over 200 magazines for what it used to cost you for a monthly subscription, only $9.99 a month. Sports Illustrated, Men's Fitness, ESPN, the magazine, more highbrow stuff as well, like the Atlantic. And you don't even have to take my word for it because you can check them out at texture.com slash cap space to get a 14 day free trial that slash cap space url easy to remember because we talk about it all the time in the program as we will for atlanta and the brooklyn nets 
very shortly. Why would you subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you have all of your favorites all the time for way less? Again, that's texture.com slash couchspace. Start your 14-day free trial, and then it's a mere $9.99 per month after that for access to over 200 magazines. Texture.com slash couchspace. So we thought, Danny, that the Atlanta Hawks would be at a crossroads at last trade deadline in 2016. They held on to Al Horford. They lost him in free agency. We thought that the Atlanta Hawks would be at a crossroads last or last trade deadline in 2017. They did not. They held on to Paul Millsap and, and all their outgoing free agents, except for Kyle Korver. And now the time has come, perhaps, to pay the piper for that kind of short-term thinking. Right, because they have this combination of players that are already on their books. They gave Dennis Schroeder an extension. They also signed Dwight Howard to a three-year contract. And now they have other players, most notably Paul Millsap and Tim Hardaway Jr., that will be free agents. Well, the big problem for them is they're just not that good, you know, and I thought that they were seduced by that because there were reports that Paul Millsap would be, in fact, be on the trade block. He then was not, and part of the reason for that was, oh, we just won like X number straight, you know, eight in a row or something. They started the season nine and two, but their point differential wasn't any good, and they ended up finishing the season in the fifth seed but you know two games basically ahead of of eighth and had the worst point differential of any team in the playoffs and so number one what are you trying to keep together and number two how much will it cost and number three even if you pay as much as you possibly can can you keep it together especially for Paul Millsap who you have to imagine even at age 32 continues to play well will have some suitors for the max The difference between an opposing team's max and the Hawks max is also important here because it is a lot less of a risk to give Paul Millsap four years with 5% raises than to give him five years with 8% raises or even less than that. You know, giving him, let's say, five years even at the opposing team's wages would still be a lot because he's 32 right now. Yeah, he is. So, uh, yeah, it would be a little bit of a risk to pay an undersized power forward $46 million when he's 36, 37 years old. That, That would probably... Not a particularly enticing scenario, but this is what the Hawks have left themselves set up for now. And who knows, maybe the offers that they could have gotten were just so piddling that they figured they might as well keep him around. But it seems pretty clear to me that this team is not keeping together. And similarly to how we talked about Toronto last year or or last night, but even more so, I mean, Toronto, at least you're keeping together a 50 win team for a couple of years. This is keeping together. I mean, if they just keep everyone on this team, I mean, let's say they just bring that back this exact team. Let's just pretend. How many games are they going to win next year? Four? Yeah, round 500. I mean, maybe, and that's maybe if they stay you healthy. could say, yeah, yeah. Maybe you could say Schroeder takes a step forward. He's young. They can get more out of guys like Prince and Hardaway. Baysmore will bounce back a little bit. But Howard and Millsap, arguably their two best players, probably on the decline. Uh, so, I mean, hard to imagine. And they were lucky this year. You know, if they have the same point differential next year that they did this year, they're a 35-win team probably. So I would expect them certainly to win less games. And now you're not even making the playoffs probably and you've got Paul Millsap on your contract at 40 percent of the salary cap basically for the next five years or you know even if they get him for less even the next four years it really just doesn't make sense to me but you feel now they have such sunk costs with having kept him with having lost Al Horford last year that it's like you know I, I fear they're just gonna like pay what it takes for to keep him and I think considering that they're not that good you know I think there are plenty of other unlike Toronto you know with like a Kyle Lowry for example 
or Utah with Gordon Hayward or the Clippers even with Chris Paul where it's like hard to find another place where they're likely to be on a better team Paul Millsap has a ton of places that are likely to be better than the Hawks over the next four years so it's not like Atlanta can say hey maybe we can pay you a little bit less and you get to stay here and and stay on a winner it's also not the only team he's ever played on so you don't have that case which they had with Al Horford you know hey this is this is your team we're the ones who drafted you I mean it is true that Atlanta though was a different general manager helped really revitalize Paul Millsap's career but he was a good player when he left Utah he just became an all-star when he after he left and the other element of this that I think is so important is that my instinct is that another team is going to save the Hawks from themselves because as you said the money might not be the same but he's 32 they've made the conference final I think he's made the conference finals once in his career if the Hawks aren't going to be that team for the next couple years then why is he going to commit to it yeah and I still don't think that they'll offer him the full five-year max and maybe I could be wrong I I think like I have a bet with Tim Bontemps actually that whatever contract Paul Millsap gets will not be the most he could possibly get from whatever team it is uh that even if it's a team like Denver or something that maybe they don't pay him the max I mean that seems like the most logical suitor for him but uh, the good news though is that they have a ton of stability in the front office with an established GM who's been there for a long time and really knows uh, the team's personnel and uh, has a great system in place right now are we on crazy pills all of a sudden is that what hap- what's happening now <laughs> Yeah, they've got this turmoil, right? Wes Wilcox may or may not remain with the organization. I expect him to go the Sam Hinkie route. Mike Budenholzer, in theory, is going to be stepping down. There have been a number of candidates who've been discussed there, from Joe Dumars to David Griffin. And you imagine Griffin rumored to be their top choice, as he is with Orlando. Cleveland's season isn't even going to end until probably like mid-June at the earliest. And that's the first point they could even talk to Griffin. His contract doesn't, doesn't expire until the end of the season. And you have to imagine, too, that he's probably going to just return to Cleveland, uh, that Dan Gilbert will pay him enough but he's not going to want to leave there to go to the Hawks or the Magic, probably. And then they've got another candidate potentially coming in. Like, when is he going to come in? Or are they going to give up on Griffin as well? They're, Griffin's not going to tell them, hey, I'm not interested now through back channels because he wants to keep them around for leverage so he can get more money from Cleveland. Or if he doesn't, then have an out. So I see this whole situation dragging on for quite some time. Now, Wilcox and Budenholzer have been doing this for a little bit, so maybe they just do whatever they are going to do. But, I mean, do you want to come in as a new president when the guys ahead of you uh essentially on July 1st will be making a decision or, or the guys who were there ahead of you are you making a decision that could cripple their cap because if they re-sign Millsap they're gonna have no cap space at all if, if he leaves they'll only have like 25 million and they won't have any cap space for like three years after this either if they re-sign him plus you have two other voices in the room that have the trust of ownership at least to a degree to hire them in the first place and then not fire them so you, you get into the too many cooks issue you get into a power struggle issue all of those things running together and it would be a perilous job there that you know there are people who are willing to take perilous jobs i'm not sure david griffin is one of them and he shouldn't be yeah that's right i think if you're atlanta's ownership and you're dead set on bringing in someone else that you need to do it now and give up on this pipe dream of griffin i mean i think any reasonable observer would say like what there's a five percent chance that dave griffin would come there even if you back up the brinks truck for him and that you know if Troy Weaver is a candidate or or Dumars who you know I'm not sure why he would be a candidate frankly given his record down the end it in Detroit uh you know I'd probably rather have Wes Wilcox frankly than him uh but just based on you know what their records have been over like the time 
time that they've been in the league. So, yeah, I mean, they, they need to move now if they're going to do this. Like, they need to move like yesterday. We're a month away from the draft right now. And we should also talk about, I mean, we focused on Millsap for a, for a good reason. Millsap is the most compelling and significant free agent for them, but he is far from their only important decision because Tim Hardaway Jr. is a restricted free agent. So he has a pretty low cap hold. They can kind of play it by ear with him if they want, or they can try to be proactive. But they also have a, a pretty critical mass of other free agents, and all of the other guys are unrestricted. Mike Muscala, Ersan Ilyasova, Tabo Sevalosha, Chris Humphreys, Jose Calderon, and varying levels of bird rights, as you would expect from the Atlanta Hawks. But those decisions are really complicated, too. Muscala, in particular, I think, is someone who would be in demand for me as a center who can protect the rim okay. Not a great rebounder, not a great post defender, although he's gotten better there, but can shoot the three. I mean, as a backup center, I think he's totally useful. I mean, he was closing games over Dwight Howard in the playoffs at times. The advantage with him is that he does have that extremely low capital, but if you're going to bring back Millsap, that doesn't matter. And if they do bring back Millsap, I mean, we talked about the mediocrity that they'll have. If they bring back Millsap, bring back Hardaway, now you're starting to even think about the tax, you know, and then, you know, if you wanted to bring back Ilyasova, that assumes they waive Mike Dunleavy as well. He's non-guaranteed or he's guaranteed for 1.7 million out of uh, the 5.2 that he's owed for next year. Uh, So I don't know. I I mean, like if they're going to bring back a lot of these guys and then they have their draft pick, obviously also coming in, they would be like close to the tax. So they're not going to re-sign all these guys. Cephalosha, another guy who, I mean, they probably should let him go because they want to get Torian Prince more time. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, let's say, give me your order after Millsap. Who are you prioritizing the most in terms of bringing back? Muscala because over he, over Hardaway well I think Hardaway is different because he's restricted so you you just can play him by ear so you don't prioritize him also I have faith in their ability to develop perimeter players and Hardaway as a restricted free agent his offensive potency leads me to think that somebody's going to overpay him I don't know who it's going to be but that's the same sort of thing we saw with Alan Crabb a talented player plays a position of value does something that other teams value and they get overpaid yeah and Hardaway already 25 so he's not exactly incredibly young here. I mean, I think Muscala could be pretty good, but we do think that there are a lot of backup centers that are available, but not a lot of them are, are great shooters. Uh, so th- that's a concern. Um, Tabo, like I said, wouldn't be a huge priority for me. I mean, what would you be willing to pay Mike Muscala if you're the Hawks? They do have full bird rights on him at, at least. And, and this is assuming that Millsap sticks around because th- that's scenario A. Scenario B is Millsap leaves, and then I think you're in just like total fire sale mode if you're smart, but they may not be smart. Right. And fire sale, again, is is complicated because you can still bring Muscala back at the right value. If my instinct is something in like this starting at about seven million range, but I think somebody's going to offer more than that. Yeah, seven million for like maybe three years rather than four. Yeah, um, that that's about what I'd be comfortable with. What about Hardaway? Oh, I mean, s- s- talented offensively. We saw we saw him. Was that against the Rockets? That crazy game that he had that fourth quarter. Yeah, where he had like like twenty points in the fourth quarter, and, the, and they they won on the road. I mean, we, I would say that Hardaway to me, his defense has gotten a little better, but I think it's still pretty bad. I mean, he got torched by Bradley Beal pretty badly. No thanks to Dwight Howard's pick and roll defense as well on that, but uh, not really any good at getting over screen which is one of his primary jobs and not big enough to switch either he's just a he's a one position defender at the two and I mean I would say that he's not as good as Terrence Ross would you agree with that 
I would agree with that, yes. And Ross got, you know, a three-year, $33 million extension from the Raptors, a more perhaps a fiscally prudent organization. And the Hawks have been a fiscally prudent organization until recently. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I wouldn't want him on my team for more than like, you know, three years, 21 million or something like that, you know, but uh, they may think more highly of him. They, of course, traded the number 19 pick in the 2015 draft to get him uh, to the Knicks. But outside of him, and let's say now that Millsap, and, and Millsap technically has to opt out, which he's obviously going to do, uh, he's due only 21 million in uh with a play that player option so he's in line to get over 30 so he's clearly going to do that uh what if what happens if they uh just lose Millsap? either they don't want to pay him enough or he just decides he's going to go elsewhere i think then everyone goes on the market and i don't know how that works dwight howard is intriguing i think for some teams because he does have that defensive value at least in concept his pick and roll defense was definitely concerning in that first round series schroeder's complicated because there's a reason whatever it is that they gave him that money he does have kind of a high ceiling if he can figure out the the he played pretty well in the playoffs yeah i'll give him that and at least at least with his own individual statistics they still didn't really play that well with him on the floor and then baysmore i think that there there are teams that could be interested in that you know a guy who could defend both guard positions hopefully can hit open shots better than he did this year his contract isn't great but it's not horrendous or anything like that so maybe you can make all that maybe you can make all that work and you are dependent a lot on offers but the other part of this equation is that in all likelihood you would want to move quickly on selling those guys because as soon as teams start getting out of the cap space world then you're losing potential suitors unless you're going to take back money in return which the hawks could be open to i don't think they need to just say oh we need to maximize every scrap of space we can get but it does narrow the field in a way that is concerning they certainly feel that like they can't rebuild in this market but i mean if we're being honest they've been in the playoffs for 10 straight years and it's not like they've been like capturing the team maybe the 2015 team is is the only one that did capturing the town I mean, if you've been in the playoffs 10 straight years, like it's unrealistic to expect to stay there for that long unless, you know, you have like an absolute superstar. I think it's actually considering the the lack of superstars that they've had, that's an extremely impressive accomplishment for them to have stuck in the playoffs for that period of time with some very different cast of characters. But I think that time is about done. Maybe they could fight for the eighth seed next year. I, I don't see that happening. If they lose Millsap, I think you just, you have to blow it up because just, you're not going to be good anyway. And so you might as well just try to, move on from Baysmore, try to move on from Howard even if it's just pretty much a, a dump for like a second rounder or something and just start playing the young guys and, and see who you can develop and, and then you just move into the all right let's see if we can get some young restricted free agents take flyers on guys take on bad money from other teams and, and get some draft picks I mean that that market I think of taking on bad money from other teams is one that is going to open up significantly now uh, with the cap starting to freeze and all that awful money from 2016 around so that's probably the strategy you know tried and true but uh and at least they still would have shooters like theoretically kind of exciting or like torian prince but uh not a ton of excitement on the scene, but let's go back. I mean, that's that's sort of an easier call. Uh, what do they have in terms of draft picks this year and in the future? This year, they have three picks, number 19, number 31, and number 60. Just a quick thing on 31. That is actually f- connecting the two teams we're previewing today. That is a pick from Brooklyn from the Joe Johnson trade in 2012 that is conveying now. Oof. Yeah, and 31, a lot of people might say, is more valuable than some of those late first rounders. Uh, 
due to the greater flexibility that you can have with those. Then on top of that, they also have in the future, they have a lottery protected first from Minnesota that could convey as soon as next year if they make the playoffs. And then a top 10 protected pick from Cleveland that probably will convey in 2019. Do you think there's any chance that they could like re-sign Millsap and just try to get like Paul George or Jimmy Butler with the assets they have? Or is it just not enough? I don't think it's enough. I've had various Blazers fans try to pitch to me. They're like, oh, we could trade three of our like non-lottery first round picks for Paul George. It's like, no, no. I mean, you you need premium assets to get somebody like Paul George. And especially from Indiana, considering his importance to that team. And you don't you don't see that. I mean, even if you go back to the Harden trade, they got a bet they got a better pick than that. And Lamb was intriguing and they got who was yeah, had been a, a first round pick that season. And then Kevin Martin was a talent too. So let's say they hold on a Millsap. They're going to be limited at best to the full mid-level exception, maybe even the taxpayer mid-level exception if they're just like being careful. What do they need? I think the number one thing that pops out to me is they just need someone else other than Schroeder who can do something off the dribble on this team, get to the basket and finish. Even Schroeder is not really a great finisher. They also need somebody who can pass. They don't really have any good passers on this team. And then also I think a, a backup four and really a backup five as well, depending on what happens with Muscala. The really uncomfortable part of this for the for the Hawks is that there aren't many guys, of course there really aren't many guys for the middle level exception, that can do that rudimentary dribbling and also shoot because Dennis Schroeder isn't a reliable shooter at this point. If you want to play them together, you can't have that bad a spacing backcourt. It just won't work. Yeah, but in that price range, finding someone like that, you know, that's like a $25 million a year player. Right. Uh, and, I mean, and also, by the way, I mean, we can think of how screwed they'll be if they lose Millsap. Like, this is why they need to rebuild i mean if they lose Millsap, they'll have 25 million dollars in space and they'll basically need probably an upgrade at backup point guard potentially malcolm delaney's okay uh they're still gonna need someone who can do something off the dribble and they'll have precisely like one rotation front court player as a big and dwight howard under contract so really hard to imagine that they can really do i mean if they lose Millsap, it's not like they can really sign anybody who can re- come close to replacing his production i mean this will be if they lose him they're gonna be the worst offense in the league probably unless there's just a massive step forward from someone like Prince that where he can like do stuff off the dribble which we don't really expect at all um but it, let's say if they're keeping Millsap again Tyreek Evans on a make good contract could be someone they could look at uh Dion Waiters might be a guy as well but he'll probably actually be out of their price range frankly uh same thing with Patty Mills and Derek Rose Rodney Stuckey is a bargain basement guy who can maybe create some shots uh like Aaron Brooks just to have somebody who can like throw a shot up at the rim and and expect it to go in every once in a while it's just that they are really limited as far as their ability to add to the team with or without Millsap and only having the middle level exception would also lark- likely take them out of the real interesting restricted free agent range. Like I even think Ben Macklemore probably, you know, he's probably at the range there where if you're giving him the middle level exception, Sacramento probably matches that. It's really interesting to look back on their 2016 offseason, which I actually thought was okay. I was like, all right, you know, Dwight Howard on that contract for this team could be better than Al Horford. Uh, that probably wasn't the case. Um, and Howard certainly looked like he was... Uh, 
quite wooden in the playoffs looked better at times during the regular year but between 23 million over the next two years each year for Howard and then Bazemore making an average of 17 million over the next three years with a player option on the end of that I mean that's like 40 million dollars in just way more expensive production than they can expect to get this year and I think any other year going forward so even them who we thought like didn't do too badly in the 2016 offseason they did badly because they signed any free agent at even close to the market value and did so and that's and that's why they're in this predicament now but you know they couldn't they couldn't handle the idea of just kind of taking a step back or trading Millsap as well and just kind of starting the rebuild back then because the problem is even if they want to start the rebuild they still have to move Baysmore and they still have to move Howard to even get back to having some modicum of salary flexibility uh that's really going to make a difference for them so it's really they probably should have taken their medicine last year they definitely should have taken it at the trade deadline this year and now I think because of that you know it's difficult for me to see how they don't have anyone on this team that's a future star you know I don't think they have anyone that you would look at if they lose Millsap there's nobody on this team who's at the top 15 at their position in the NBA like how depressing is that moreover either of their if their free agents or of other teams who's going to take a discount to join this team and when you think about building you have to consider that sort of thing so they can the way they can get discounts is by finding guys and developing them then and atlanta has done a masterful job of that in recent years no baysmore they functionally picked up off the scrap heap they got discount contracts from Millsap twice and the dunleavy i think has done a nice job for them you know i I think they deserve credit for that tory and prince drafting him they i think he's he's looking talent like a talent for them but again that's not really a free agency thing in the in the traditional sense and also remember that value free agents might pop up a little bit this year but really they're they're kind of going by the wayside especially when you're thinking about more long-term deals because there's there still is a fair amount of money in the league all right, we're going to get to Brooklyn momentarily. But first, this from ZipRecruiter. The way to get started with them, ZipRecruiter.com slash Capspace is the URL to post jobs for free. Why would you want to post jobs on ZipRecruiter? Zip well, because you only have to do it once instead of doing it 97 times on all of these industry-specific websites, social media, Craigslist, anything else. That's what I used to have to do when I was working as a lawyer and we would try to get some other candidates in. I would have loved to have had ZipRecruiter. It works for any industry, any city, nationwide. You just post once and you watch your qualified candidates roll in. You can interface with all of them through ZipRecruiter. You don't have to juggle emails or calls to your office, sign in to eight different services or, or more than that and remember all the passwords. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, hire the right person fast with ZipRecruiter. That's why they've been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. The way to get started with them and of course, let them know that you came from from us which is important ziprecruiter.com slash cap space which again we talk about so much here during this off-season preview time ziprecruiter.com slash cap space one more time try it for free ziprecruiter.com slash cap space i kind of feel better about brooklyn's future than i do atlanta's in some ways Beyond the whole not having their pick next year thing, you know, and Atlanta has Atlanta has a much better pick situation. I have completely adopted something that you threw out a while ago. I think it was around this time last year. The idea of approaching Brooklyn solely on the lens of 2019-20. The logic behind that being they don't have their own pick in 2018, so that's it's unprotected. Feldman was actually the first one who came up with that on the uh, on last year's mock trade deadline uh, when 2016. 
2016 mock trade deadline when he kept like trying to make trades and like just couldn't do it and it became this huge joke but that was actually his plan that he articulated so uh, okay sorry yeah. sorry Feldman but so the idea being that and that is the way that I would approach everything for Brooklyn really and and, and obviously that that is not an all-encompassing thing because you can do a lot that doesn't directly conflict with that what's so shocking about that compared to what we just talked about with Atlanta's books all Brooklyn has for 1920 so three seasons away is Andrew Nicholson's player option their rookies from last year and then uh, a cap hold for then restricted free agent Rondé Hollis Jefferson other than that they're wide open oh that's not all they have Danny they have 5.5 million dollars owed to Darren Williams from stretching him that's right oh god that's that's buried in my sheet i didn't even think about it but it's in there i know well yeah i saw i saw that too i'm like why is the number so high and then i scrolled down to like my dead salary section i was like oh oh that's right But so, th- but yeah, does... and I think even yeah, go, go, no, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, I, I was gonna say twenty eighteen nineteen. Even they've got nothing on the books really. Then either they would have sixty five million in space. Uh, even if Jeremy and if Jeremy Lin opts out, then you're probably almost over seventy five million in space with the expiry of contracts to uh, Brook Lopez and some of this other money. Remember, they were like way under the cap this year too. I think they were ten million under the cap this year, maybe a little less than that because they didn't put in some of their like ten days and stuff for this year but uh right now though this year again i think that that's an interesting point i think for 2018-19 i don't want to be too good then i want to kind of be bad but for this year go ahead and be good you know because uh both of their picks or their pick is owed to boston outright and they don't even have the swap rights this year uh they have 25 million in space the only real variable they have almost no free agents the only real variable is kj mcdaniels he just finished his third year in the league and they have a team option for him so they can either decline that option and make him restricted free agent now at which point his cap hold would go up to uh, a little over six million dollars or they can keep him under contract for next year at 3.5 million but then he's unrestricted at the end of that but basically that would make a difference of you know between 25 and 28 million or so in the amount of salary and you know the question becomes here how much do you want to commit for later and i also think that again considering that they're trying to build that they don't want to be too good in 2018-19 when they actually will finally have their draft pick for once uh and they need to still get some premium talent out of this team i think they should probably do their best to just keep you know like 15 million bucks in space open uh because i mean what's what good is being that much better this year i mean maybe you try to sign some guys but it's just not really that exciting and they have so many holes still that i don't see them like getting close to playoff contention this year unless they can really hit on on that 25 million but 25 million uh sure doesn't go as far as it used to especially when you have as many holes as this team what do they need as far as just like trying to get better almost everything i wouldn't say that i mean point guard center uh i mean i think karis levert is and and just kind of other like scoring guards are good uh but forwards i mean they don't have any i mean i guess they they got ronde you know he could he can be one of your forwards. so they probably need like a power forward who's better than Trevor Booker, who actually had a nice year last year, but he's on the downside now at 29. Uh, they really need a backup point guard, especially, I mean, you just saw how bad it got w- when Lynn went down. Uh, and then, uh, you know, maybe a backup center would be nice as well. Uh, Justin Hamilton, probably not quite good enough uh, to play a good backup center, but they've got Qu- Quincy AC. Maybe they can cobble something together there. So, you know, if they could get like a pretty good forward uh, and maybe just overpay someone for next year, because then, and, and there's also, you know, the possibility of maybe trading Brooke Lopez. He 
season the last year of his deal making 22 million but doesn't really seem like any potential suitors for him because as you talked about the center market is so impacted right now how are you feeling about their flotilla of non-guaranteed guys so they have a series of different i think they should keep almost all of them uh unless you know the, the, i mean they'll have to probably cut a couple of people just if they're going to make new signings but I, I like all those guys reasonably well i don't love joe harris personally i, I never really have uh for, and Archie... for the minimum he was good last year he shot like pretty well on threes he's all right i mean but the, the problem with them is they're also adding two more first round picks and just i think that you can you can wait a little bit and also the other benefit that brooklyn has considering they're probably not going to spend all their money is big whoop you keep him around because he actually guarantees early uh, my, my notes have him guaranteeing you know right at the beginning of free agency but big yeah whoop, yeah if, he, if, he and sean kilpatrick are both right. uh june 30th but yeah i mean harris might be a guy that they could look to move sure and and so you just kind of go through it you, and you say okay well what's the worst case scenario and yeah he maybe he's not good enough to make your final 15 man roster if that ends up happening first of all that's a really good sign for for where they're going but second of all you you could do that nobody really cares i'm also not the biggest fan of archie goodwin but archie goodwin has a later guarantee date his is around halloween so then the, basically that's training yeah camp. and even only 200 guaranteed after that archie goodwin actually like if you just look at his stats he played pretty well he had like a 65 percent true shooting percentage last year in, in pretty limited minutes but i still think there's enough there especially on this team where the one thing they do do is spread the floor pretty well and they just need guys who can do something off the dribble i, I think he actually like i would keep him around and you know see how he looks in summer league and that kind of stuff but uh, i think like i'm not ready to give up on him yet i'm not either and you know it, and it, it, he's at the minimum so it's not a big deal and so you so you work from there and the idea and i i agree with you on the idea of kind of if you can't get guys for the kind of the equivalent of the hinky special where you're signing them for you know discounted rates for a long time i would consider you know giving somebody maybe less money per year but like four years for a player who might not get that long anyway just on the prospect of eventually having them on some of these good teams i don't know exactly who that is because the problem is the guys who hit unrestricted free agency just aren't young like i wouldn't necessarily do that with like ian clark but yeah i think with some of these guys like some of these guys who've been like okay like a sean kilpatrick or a joe harris maybe if you can find a way to roll those guys over for a second rounder uh and those guys are under contract uh for just this year but then uh i think they would both be oh no i don't think either of them would be restricted free no, Kil- Kilpatrick is in that is in that place where if they had structured his contract differently because he is this will be his fourth year the next upcoming year so if yeah. his if if it was structured as a team option they could have theoretically declined that and made him a restricted free agent if they had wanted to but they can't do that now. Um would you decline KJ McDaniel's option and make him a restricted free agent or would you just keep him under contract for next year? I don't think it makes that much of a difference, but I think I think I'd pick it up just because the idea of getting him as a restricted free agent just for the idea of maybe him picking like picking up his qualifying offer or just getting a really low value, I think that's a little bit too cute and there's no real point to it. Giving him 3 million and just seeing if it works out, worst comes to worst should cut him, who cares. Yeah, that sounds good to me too now let's say they did want to add to the team a little bit i mean you obviously want to get young guys you want to get guys who really because we said you know they probably need a tank in 2018-19 still you either want to get guys who could be tradable on value contracts or who would still be around and contributing in 2019-20 who falls into that category as a free agent who also i mean because they do have one nice asset which is they got playing time because they're bad and so you can help a guy maybe who hasn't been playing as much increase his value and then you can 
can move on from him. Nikola Mirotic is someone who comes to mind there that maybe, you know, something along the lines of just pay him like a starting power forward, give him a $15 million a year offer and just see if Chicago matches it or not. He would be a great fit in their system. Just let him bomb away. Let him do some more stuff off the dribble. Uh, I think Cristiano Felicio as a backup center kind of falls into the same category. And you could even do like offers for both of them and see who comes in uh Milos Teodosic who we've talked about to some degree that he's been linked to the Nets uh I'm not sure why they would prioritize him when they already had Jeremy Lin I don't think see him wanting to be a backup on a bad team uh but maybe he and he's all already 30 so I, not much point of him unless they wanted to move on from him some of the other guys that you might look at is kind of like rehab projects or guys who could just give them something at forward Omri Caspi of course with another guy that might be undervalued uh Brandon Rush could be a guy who just would give them some shooting and some modicum of defense on the wing as a two-way guy they just don't really have anybody who can defend and shoot on this team uh Luke Babbitt is a backup for Jeff Green with yet another one-year overpay comes to mind uh Tyler Ennis as a backup point guard project maybe Shelvin Mack could be someone they could bring in as just like a steadier backup point guard who if Jeremy Lin misses time like he won't just absolutely kill you he's got experience as, as a starter uh, and uh, Luke Mbamute could be another guy too, who at least will play some defense on the wing and, and really upgrade there. Him and Rondé, you'd never score probably, but you know you kind of got Brook Lopez for some more spacing, and maybe you could actually stop people in those scenarios. I feel like the better use along those same lines is actually instead of signing for agents to try to acquire players from other teams. And there are two broad angles on this. One is to get straight up just garbage assets, so toxic assets. Yeah. You could go in a Andrew couple different Nicholson, directions. Just do that trade yeah, again. Do do that sort of thing again. And another benefit that they have is that they can get two years of bad money. I would not be looking at the Dang and Mozgovs of the world unless they unless a team really bowled me away. I would be looking more. A guy that I thought of was Omar Ashik. Ashik has two more years and then a partial guarantee for three million. I don't know that the Pelicans are going to be looking for cap space or that they're necessarily asset rich. But those are the type of players that I would be looking for and there will be a team that is desperate to clear space somebody's going to go somewhere and they're going to be or or the team's just going to be fundamentally optimistic and so you want to be the go-to for that and they have enough leverage where they can say you know we're not going to go beyond that season we're not going to take three seasons bad money unless you do something ridiculous and Brooklyn's a great fine taking taking on a third season even and you know, it would have to be a king's ransom to take on some right. thing. For, I mean, it for, seems it, like the new. It seems like the new market basically is for every twenty million dollars in bad contracts you take on, you can get a first rounder. You know, kind of mid mid to late first rounder, uh, and maybe an asset going back as well. That kind of seems like the new math. It used to be like ten million dollars in bad salary equaled a, a first rounder. Um, I mean, I actually like trading for Dang to me wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, because if you could get maybe like one of the Lakers' young guys guys with him and, and then like you know a first round pick that's not that heavily protected you know in like 2020 or something from the lakers for that that would be i think actually no 2021 would be the first one that they could trade uh which would be cr- pretty crazy or 2020 if they don't keep their pick this year but if you would do that i think they actually could rehabilitate dang because he could just play at the four there there'd be plenty of spacing and then maybe you know if a contender wanted him he would be willing to just like take a buyout next summer and you could save a little bit more 
more money there and then he could make that up by signing with a contender or you know you could trade him and take back you know someone who's making like eight million a year in dead salary instead where you kind of rehabilitate him so he's not as toxic as he is right now oh by the way we should add this too uh dang apparently hurt his uh pectoral weightlifting after the season was over that's why the surgery is scheduled for right now uh since we were asking about that uh yesterday yes and i can't remember who sent that to us but appreciate it so i don't know off the top of my head exactly who is going to be who which which teams that's going to be so another guy actually i did think of this one as a potential maybe not toxic but near toxic asset if if dallas really wanted to be aggressive with their cap space they don't really need dwight powell anymore maybe they would do something and then the other group could be a backup center option for this team and then the other family of things are not necessarily toxic assets but teams that are just desperate to clear money and take you know 20 60 cents on the dollar so toronto could be in that circumstance if they choose to go after you know if they choose to go after some of their bigger fish there uh, i'm trying to think there are, i know there are a few oh denver maybe with kenneth farid depending on what they want to do with some of their farid stuff would be an okay fit with them too sure and so those types of players and again that could also be the idea of rehabilitating where you just get them for cheaper maybe they help you especially in this year it doesn't really matter that much help you that's great and then the, at that point farid's a great example example this then they're an expiring contract maybe somebody's interested in them they've been rumored to potentially be a george hill suitor does that make any sense to you no he's he's not gonna he's not gonna be as good when they're good so yeah i mean that's why the idea of focusing on 2019 20 is so important is that you're they're not providing any surplus value between now and then because you're going to be awful next year in all likelihood and then you want to be awful the year after well, and remember, Hill, he's expecting to get more than what Utah offered him, which was uh, three years and, and as much as $88 million, essentially, in new money. So even if they offer him all of their cap space for three years, that's not even that much. And then they would have to go to a fourth year, and that just that makes so little sense for this team, for the 31-year-old George Hill. It really, like, you, you just, like, signing anyone to something for longer than a year that's going to be a potential bad contract, just, uh-uh, no way. Maybe yeah. it could go into, yeah, just just no way because you don't even want to be good in 2018-19 we'll see if that's what their philosophy is but I mean I think you just you have to I mean because it's going to be hard to have that kind of discipline right and I know that I think I, I admire Prokhorov accepting that finally going with Sean Marks taking on this philosophy where they're you know greenlighting this trade for Nicholson where they're just taking on more money they're not trying to be good but I mean now we're talking about it's been they're in the playoffs as recently as 2015 as crazy that is to say so they were awful last year they're gonna be awful this year probably gonna be awful next year and then when they finally have their pick and you really green light a fourth year of awfulness but despite the fact that it seems like oh we've been rebuilding we've been doing all this getting all this young talent you know they haven't had a pick higher than this year is going to be number 22 will be the highest pick i think that they'll have had during this whole time well yeah because i can't so you got to get higher picks what pick they just, got ronde with and that was the mason plumley trade oh the other beauty of tanking next year is brooke lopez will be coming off the books and probably lynn too right and the other group uh, i wanted to mention brisbane briefly is i think they are an ex- exceedingly logical destination and philly's the other one for this if teams that have partial guarantees want to just throw them their way instead of stretching them like festus azili is probably the best example of this hey portland you want to give us some middling second round pick that still has some value for festus azili and we'll just instead of stretching him we'll just throw that money on this year's books for us i would be totally down to do that one other quick note the number 39 overall pick whom they i think traded something significant for i can't remember exactly what it was uh 
yeah two second rounders actually uh for the charlotte hornets for the number 39 pick to select argentinian uh juan pablo voile voile not exactly killing it in the argentina league he shot 15 percent on three-pointers last year and played only eight games Oh, no, I'm sorry. He played in, in two different leagues. And yeah, he shot, sorry, 26% on threes last year. It's, he played, they played in like different competitions. That's why I was struggling. And uh, 58% free throw shooter. So not great for a uh, 6'6 guard. <laughs> Probably not going to be contributing at the NBA level anytime soon. Although he still is only 21 years old. Anything else you want to say about Brooklyn? I'm excited to see if they can actually approach this as zealously as as we hope. And they, I mean, the Nicholson trade is, is a really nice bright line that maybe 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 they can because they got they got good value there i thought that was a nice trade for them they did also give up bogdanovich who's you know helping the wizards right now but there are not that many i think that there will be fewer teams using that arbitrage approach than there should be and so that massively benefits those who engage and engage on it early potentially as soon as draft night their big chance to do that is next year because the cap really now is not going up next year and with lynn potentially out the books and lopez they would have so much money that they can just take on plenty of bad salary next year and actually really now they can really start to like potentially become asset rich for like the first time after 2018-19 season but so that that's really their big opportunity i think maybe even more so than this season but you know you keep that flexibility and see what comes along i definitely don't recommend overpaying anybody even if it's only a one-year deal i'd rather just have the space to take on from uh, somebody else you could even like try to get uh an extension for Jeremy Landers. You got a lot of things you do. So uh, in any event, I think that'll do it. Also, I want to remind you again, I talked about it in the open, but really cool thing that we did. We took the Twitter NBA show audio, synced it up with the highlights from the game. We did last couple of possessions of regulation and then uh, the last minute 30 of overtime. And that, that was really fun. You, If you haven't checked out the Twitter NBA show yet, it's a great advertisement for that, or even just a way to relive the game. And what we're going to be trying to do with that is we're calling it dunked on video, try to get it up within a half hour after the game ends and that's a great way to relive it like right away as maybe a substitute for some highlight shows and get our instant analysis and commentary actually over the highlights so you can see finally what we're talking about here uh on this on this stuff with video great chance to do that we're going to try and publicize that not sure where it's going to end up or anything uh this was our first time doing it i got a great video editor named nick shibetta who i found it on twitter when i put that out so nick's doing a great job we appreciate his help and uh i urge you to check that out uh, i've been tweeting it out a little bit it's just up on youtube right now and uh that'll do it talk to you all next time reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 